So Money Episode 734, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Gretchen Caldwell. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It's Friday, May 25th. Some of you probably heading out for your Memorial Day excursions. We are homebound this weekend, this long weekend. My mom and dad are in town from the West Coast. Very excited to uh, be seeing them. I mean, it's uh, maybe it sounds crazy, but I only see my parents like maybe twice or three times a year, always for like about a week at a time. But we don't get to see each other that much. And it's gotten even harder now with having smaller children, grandkids. They are really missing us and likewise. And so whenever we get a chance to be together, we just kind of like, uh, we just stay in the room and we don't leave. But um excited to uh, have the long weekend. That's why my father was actually able to come. He is still hard at work in his 60s. And some of you might know, I'm actually, I think I want to have my dad on the podcast again because I interviewed my parents. Um, and many of you have said that's been one of your favorite episodes. It's, it's also one of mine about their immigration and their the way they raised us and why we talked about money so much. And my dad is pretty exemplary in that, you know, he got laid off in his early 60s, which is for many people. And even for a while, we were thinking, maybe dad, this is like your sign to retire early and just, you know, throw in the towel and start a new adventure. And my dad is such a an academic and curious person. And also his mind goes like a hundred miles per hour. He could not retire. He wouldn't know what to retire to, which is a whole other uh, perhaps episode, but he wanted to get back into the career world. And long story short, he got laid off and he was pretty senior at his company. And the reason he got laid off was due to a consolidation. There was a merger. So his role was no longer available. And frankly, like his entire industry in the tech space uh, was consolidating constantly and shrinking. And so it wasn't like he could just go back and get that job someplace else. He had to kind of reinvent himself and how he did it. He spent a year taking a bunch of online courses, drilled down, zeroed in on data science. My dad's a physicist, so it wasn't a complete departure, but it was a lot of kind of new learning about data science and a new kind of software coding program and blah, blah, blah. I mean, this is like way out of my... I don't even know if I'm talking about it correctly, but I do know that he was able to bounce back like a like an all-star and now he's working again, big job, big role at a big company. And he reverse engineered it. He went online and discovered where the hiring was gravitating towards for people that kind of had his skill set. What were the holes he needed to fill? He hired a LinkedIn resume ninja, <laughs> I call him, who basically allowed my father to be discovered on LinkedIn. And and then as soon as that happened, he was getting a ton of inquiries. And so here's my father in his 60s proving that despite sometimes ageism and feeling like you've topped out in your career, now you've gotten laid off and there's really no other place to go but 
the golf course and he doesn't even play golf, you know, he was able to basically reignite his career in a way that he's very, very happy now, much more happy, happier than he was being at home. And guess what? My mom is a lot happier too, to have him out of the house. You can only imagine uh, what that must've been like for them. <laughs> TMI? I don't know. Well, let's have him back on the podcast, I think. I think that's basically where I'm leading this to. And uh, just wanted to brag a little bit about my dad. That was a complete diversion. I wasn't expecting to tell you that story, but it's a podcast and we have the time and I think you're interested. So Thanks for indulging me. All right. It's May 25th and our special co-host today, we're in for a treat, everybody. She's a certified financial planner. Her name is Gretchen Caldwell. And Gretchen emailed me just like I often get emails from people who listen to the show. And it was specifically because she wanted to co-host. And I love that because it's what I asked you to do. And and some of you do it. And I this is an example of, you know, when dreams come true for both of us. I dream of having, you know, great guests or sorry, great listeners come on and co-host. And uh, I don't know if this is Gretchen's dream, but she um, did the good work of emailing me. And here we are, Gretchen, uh, just to share a little bit more about Gretchen before bringing her on the stage. She's a financial planner and advisor who focuses on helping people navigate financial transitions in their lives, including things like retirement, career change, divorce, the death of a spouse or a partner. So maybe she can chime in about my dad. She has a Series 65 license, a certificate in financial planning from Santa Clara University. She's passed the CFP exam. And um, she's amazing. In her free time, she likes to read, bake, spend time with her extended family, and co-host Ask Farnoosh. Welcome to the show, Gretchen. Thanks for having me, Farnoosh. And it is one of my dreams to be on the show. Oh. I'm a long time. <laughs> I'm a long time listener since back when you used to have the the everyday podcast. So I'm Whoa. thrilled to be here. And uh, it is definitely one of my dreams. And like you said, it was great to email and to hear back from you. It was such a thrill. Blast from the past, Gretchen. Wow. So what do you think? Do you like that we've come down to now three days a week? Do you think I should yes. go any fewer? No, I think two to three days a week. You know why? Because I couldn't keep up with the five days, but I loved them all. So I was always trying to to get to the place where I was right on schedule with you. So I was one of those people who said, oh, three days a week is good because I like to listen to all the episodes and I couldn't quite keep up with the five days a week. Oh, okay, good. Now tell us where you're based out of. So I'm based in the Bay Area. I'm in Danville, California, which is just east of Oakland in the San Francisco Bay Area. I uh, I really like that you have this focus on transitions, life transitions. I think that that's often an underserved market and, and need where you're you know you're going through either like a career change or a divorce, and money is such a huge component of whether or not you're going to succeed or fail. Um, did you always kind of gravitate towards this life stage and helping your your clients in this life stage? Or, uh, you know, how did it basically transpire? Yeah, it came out of my own experience. So I was always in technology and sales and recruiting. And about five years ago, I got really sick and was told I wasn't going to be able to work ever again. Um, and so my husband and I hit this point of going from a two income family to a one income family and trying to adjust the kind of basic financial planning we had done. It sent us looking for somebody who could help us navigate that transition. And I wasn't really able to find anyone who was dedicated to that, you know, kind of shake up of your financial world. And so 
I was very fortunate. And a few years later, they figured out what was wrong with me. I ended up needing open heart surgery. But once I had that, I literally had a new lease on life. And so I went back to school and studied financial planning and really have dedicated myself since then to helping other people navigate financial transitions. Because as you said, when these changes come up in our life, we don't think about them as money changes a lot of times. Maybe a career change like your dad's, yes. But for a lot of other things, divorce doesn't feel like a, a financial change, but it really is. The death of a partner is a huge financial change. So helping people figure out the financial end of that so that they can deal with more of the emotional aspects is so gratifying. It's so fulfilling. So I'm I'm thrilled to be here to to help other people as they walk through these changes in their life. Well, I think this transitions us well into our first question. His name is Joe from Instagram. Um, he sent in this query and he's 22 years old, Gretchen. And I, I, first of all, what were you doing at 22? Were you writing into <laughs> podcasts or <laughs> having these deep no. thoughts about your career? Uh, so kudos to Joe. First of all, there was no Instagram right back then. But uh, the point is, he's very thoughtful, very proactive. He wrote in and he's 22 and he says he's done, he's done really well to get this job in engineering at Rolls-Royce. He lives in the UK. The problem is the pay is quite low. And he says this may sound surprising because engineering jobs typically, is in, the, in the States at least, are one of the higher paying jobs at a college. But where he is in the UK, I guess it's not a very lucrative industry or even, you know, he said that the pay is like very, very low. I think he said like 23 pounds a year, which is, you know, I don't know, like comes to about less than 50K a year here, uh, which is not little money, but I suppose he's having a hard time making ends meet there. And so this is where he's starting to second guess his career choice. Um, he's saying that, you know, with his paltry salary, he's spending at least half of his wages on housing and food. The cost of living there is very expensive. He's thinking of leaving his job. Uh, the project at Rolls-Royce where he's at is a three-year project, and they're expecting him to stay until the end at least, but he thinks he could go financially further in three years. And he's specifically thinking about uh, doing a career switch to finance. And he's like, I know that's a total departure, but I think I'd actually like it. He's kind of concerned that he's going to be sort of like tossing away his degree in engineering. And I think that, you know, it's, he might even have a, a master's in it. So uh, what do we think? I mean, he's 22. There is no, I feel this is like maybe a too blanket of a statement, but I kind of feel like there's no bad decision in, when you're 22. I mean, in, in this, in the sense that, should I do this job or that job or take this path or that path? Yeah, you can make a lot of bad decisions when you're young. But <laughs> <laughs> let me so let me preface that when it comes to deciding between two jobs, I think that in some ways you kind of have to have the good jobs, have the bad jobs, have the okay jobs. That's how you learn and he always will have his degree to fall back on. No one can take away his engineering uh, education. So if he transitions at this stage, decides he hates it and wants to go back, you know what? He could probably package that nicely and have a unique um, angle to engineering saying like, I've worked in th the financial field and maybe he can go work in engineering at a financial services company or a financially uh, uh focused company. So I don't know. I just feel like he's might, might be a little too, um, too worried. And I think that being cash strapped in your early twenties is, 
is definitely something to to reflect upon and, and really consider your income. And maybe he just needs to find another job with a better paying salary and he could stay in engineering, but it doesn't sound like he has a lot of prospects there. Yeah. I mean, when I read it, what's, what sticks out to me or when I hear the question is, does he have a passion for finance? Um, it sounds like he really might like his engineering job. And it's, if it's just a finance issue, is there a way to find an engineering job that pays more? Now, if he's intrigued by finance and thinks that may be an avenue he wants to go down, I totally agree with you that there's no, this is not going to be a catastrophic um, mistake if he decides to try finance and it doesn't end up working. Um, he's at the perfect time in his life to try new things. And, you know, I'm obviously an advocate for um, changing careers if you want to. Um, my only concern would be making sure he actually is interested in finance beyond the paycheck, because I think we've all taken jobs just for the paycheck. And um, the glory of that paycheck can wear, wear off over time. So figuring out what, he's, what is he really interested in doing that would also pay more. And if that's finance, great. If that's engineering in a different company or with a different project, um, you know, I think he's on the right track. He's asking himself the right questions. And he's clearly a, you know, a diligent employee wanting to stay on as part of this project, but also figure out how to have a, a life that he enjoys and can pay for. I agree. I think that Joe, you know, uh, really asking yourself, uh, will I be happy in this new field is really important because really <laughs> who is 22 and is rolling it in, making all the dough. Uh, in fact, this is a common problem in your twenties. You don't make enough to, to, to cover your expenses. The cost of living has risen ex exponentially relative to wages. Wages have been stagnant. That's, I guess it's the same in UK, in the UK and definitely the case here in the U S. And so there is that friction. Does it mean that you need to switch your career to make Make more money. Maybe if you really want to do it and you're passionate about that new prospect, but if it's like Gretchen is saying where it's just about the money, then I think that perhaps you want to find other ways to make your career track work. So whether that's, hey, you know what? Starting a side hustle and creating some supplemental income to cover your overhead costs and stay in this job, which sounds like it's, you know, you're pretty, you're enjoying and they value you. Or it's asking for a raise or it's uh, finding a different job in this field and knowing that with experience and, uh, you know, time, you will be able to earn more. And hopefully that will be uh, that will be motivating to you. But I appreciate the question, Joe, and keep us posted. Let us know if you stick with Rolls Royce or if you switch gears. No pun intended. <laughs> Do you like how I did that? That was totally on my feet. Very nice. Also on Instagram, a lot of questions coming in from Instagram. Mo um, has a question about real estate and his buyer's remorse. <laughs> Gretchen, do you own in yeah. San Francisco or in Danville where you are? No, we used to, we owned a house in Oakland for a long time. And um, when we decided to move out to the suburbs, we thought we'd rent for a while and see if the prices came down, which uh, clearly was not my best decision because the prices just keep going up. So right now we're, we're a renting family. Which is 
definitely the way to go sometimes. You know, I think there's a lot of emphasis on buying just for the sake of buying, which I think is kind of Mo's dilemma. He says that my mom actually pushed me into buying a house with my brother. We split the cost, but I'm, I was very reluctant at the time towards buying this house. And now I'm stuck paying a mortgage and home improvements. And as a result, he cannot go out and enjoy his life, he says, or go out with his friends and do many of the other things that he wants to do. He's only 27. He's single. He wants to travel. He wants to be active. But this home is really keeping him home. And he blames his mom, he says, and his brother for pushing him into making such a big commitment at this stage in his life. But at the same time, he's wondering, maybe it was for the best. Maybe this home will turn out to be a, a great asset building uh, property. And so he wants to know what we think. I mean, first of all, I'm like, you got to stop the blame, the blame game. Right. Stop blaming mom. Mom takes the blame for everything. <laughs> I mean, I know. And in fact, somebody wrote in the other day was like, Farnoosh, your guests are constantly blaming their parents for the, why they screwed up with their money in their 20s. And it's just getting hard to listen to as a parent, she said. And I said, well, I get that. But, you know, part of it is it's just us being honest about how we got to sort of make the decisions that we did. And I do believe that what differentiates adults from children is when you stop blaming your parents. You can acknowledge how you were raised and how it influenced you, but the blame game needs to stop. And so I think that's my first tip is to uh, realize that you made this decision. No one was putting a gun to your head to say, you got to sign and close on this house. I know there's a lot of pressure that comes from family. I'm not saying that that wasn't the case, but you know, you were very much an active participant in this and and now you're in it. And so, you know, at this point, uh, those mortgage payments are going to continue and it's important to keep up on that. But I wonder if uh, you could, I mean, you're 27. So if it's really an income situation that's, you know, your income is not enough to, uh, to sort of keep up with your, with your expenses, then maybe you want to address the income and to look into ways to make more money. Um, if you don't want to live in the home, you talk to your brother. Can you rent out your, can you sublet your per, your portion of the home? And so I don't know what the setup is. If it's, if it's, uh, if your brother would be into that, but could you sublet and maybe get some rental income to help you pay down this mortgage, your portion of it while you live somewhere more affordably in your renting? It sounds like he didn't really consider his lifestyle before he made this home purchase, which Gretchen, chime in here. When you're buying a home, it's not just the finances that need to to add up, right? There are so many other considerations, your lifestyle, your emotional state, <laughs> your desire to be a homeowner, all of that. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the cost is certainly one thing and that sometimes we even forget about the extended costs of owning a home because obviously everything that breaks, if you're the homeowner, you're going to be paying for that. You're paying for the property taxes, you're paying for the insurance. And a lot of times we just look at the mortgage and say, well, I can afford the mortgage. It's similar to my rent or maybe less than my rent, but thinking about the extended costs are important. But then exactly as you pointed out, what's your lifestyle like right now? Do you want to be locked into this purchase. And especially if you're going in with someone else, um, I would be very cautious of buying a home with a sibling or a friend uh, where, you know, what happens when one of you decides you don't want to live in that house anymore? Or what happens when one of you, let's say in this case, gets married and wants to move out? So thinking through all those situations before you buy, obviously that does not help 
mode today, but thinking through those things as those of us that are listening and considering these these types of purchases, do we really want to be a homeowner now? When I look at Mo's question, I think about um, you know the way most of us feel in our 20s, which is we're not quite doing exactly what we want. Uh, you know, we're not making as much money as we want in our job. Maybe our job isn't exactly what we want the job to be yet. And so you can get in that position of feeling stuck. And perhaps that's where he is. And the house is really, you know, adding to that feeling of being stuck of like, this isn't quite what I thought my life would look like at 27. So figuring out a way to, to relieve some of that stuck feeling by either taking on a renter or, you know, getting a renter and moving out of the house. Is it an option to sell the house? Is the brother open to that at all? But really sitting down and thinking through what what can I do now to change the situation? You know, is it going to be bring in more income? Is it going to be sell the house? Is it going to be bring in a renter? But help help relieve some of that stuck feeling by by thinking about what your choices really are versus regretting the fact that you're in the situation. Right. Another potential way to get out of this is to talk to your brother and see if he'll buy you out. Right. I mean, there's, there is that possibility of just saying, Hey, like, do you want to buy me out? And maybe it's at a small loss or, but it's a long-term benefit to you. If this is something that, again, when you look at the long-term cost of being this homeowner versus a short-term loss of, of maybe giving back your partial ownership to your brother and he becomes the, the full owner, um, that, that may be something that is, uh, will be hard to stomach in the short term, but what will do you justice in the long run. And given the lifestyle that you want to pursue, it it just seems like, yeah, this home is gonna is gonna lock you down because that's what becoming a homeowner sort of requires of of you. It's like you're gonna be available and around and there's gonna be there, you know, there are gonna be fix ups required and um, it's a mortgage and you're in it. It's a 30-year mortgage. It's not oh, a 12-month right. lease. So, you know, we wish we had an easier answer for you, Mo, but I think that – I think it starts with having a conversation with your brother and looking at ways where you can uh, untether yourself from this situation in a way that is um, amenable to both of you. So good luck and, of course, let us know how things shake out. All right. We have a couple of questions uh, in the queue here uh, regarding uh, 401ks. Um, but before that, we have Zelda who wrote it into the website at sobanypodcast.com who wants to know what she should do with a $150,000 inheritance. And that's all she asked. I don't know what her debt situation is. I don't know what her goals are. I don't know... Uh, I don't know anything. I just know that she's got a nice little windfall, not little, nice chunk of chunk of windfall come in and wants to know how she should go about managing this. Do you ever have clients, Gretchen, that I'm sure you do, that sort of like come into a large sum of money either through an inheritance or a bonus, things like that? And what do you recommend? Yeah, we do get a lot of people that come in with this situation. And I think inheritance can be particularly loaded because people have a sense of guilt or feeling bad because obviously someone passed away for that inheritance to happen. And so I do caution people as they get an inheritance to really take their time and think about what they would like to do because there is just this guilt around that money and feeling like they shouldn't really have it or that it's not really theirs. And so taking the time to work through the the emotional piece of 
having someone in your life pass away. Um, but once we've kind of worked through that, think about what your situation is. And her question is so great because it talks to why there isn't a generic, oh, you know, save 40%, spend 60, because it really depends on her situation. Did she have a goal in her life that, you know, required money to achieve? Does she want to go, you know, has she always dreamed of getting her master's and this could pay for that degree? Has she always wanted to buy a house and this could be a down payment? Does she have debt or student loans that this could help pay off? So thinking through her overall financial situation and how she can best put this money to use for her, but there is no um, one size fits all. Everybody should take their inheritance and, you know, save this amount, spend that amount. Yeah. Thanks for that kind of, uh, that checklist of things to do. Yeah. The first thing is, it's just really realizing, you know, how can this money best serve you and make your life easier and better? And if there is debt in the picture, if there are loans outstanding and there, that's really bothering you, that could be a way to go. And I think like, you're right, Gretchen, it's, it's a very emotionally charged, um, situation as well, because if this was an inheritance from a loved one that was very close to you, then you might feel like you need to do something really grand with it or really um, that is uh, an homage to them. And that's very that's very special if you want to do that. But I think you also want to marry that with practicality and, and, and really think about, well, is this like the right thing for me as opposed to just the right thing for what is this what this person wanted? Um so Zelda, thanks for writing in and uh, we're sorry for your loss and we we are here for you if you have more questions about what to do with this inheritance, if you wanted to share more about your your life situation or any other sort of tangential questions, uh, let us know. All right. So now to those 401k questions, we have lovely Leah on Instagram who uh, talks about uh, wanting to know what to do with her husband's 401k because her husband got laid off last week. He has a Roth IRA with an online robo-advisor. So she's asking, is it better to roll his 401k to this Roth IRA or can he roll it, in, can, can, should he roll it into a traditional IRA? And if he does roll it over, does this mean that he cannot contribute any additional money to these accounts for the rest of the year? Because presumably he will have um, put rolled over more than the annual uh, $5,500 maximum contribution. So Roth versus traditional, what do you think, Gretchen? So yeah, it's important to define the two. So Roth is money that you've already paid taxes on. So you paid your income tax on that money and you contribute it to a Roth. It grows tax-free. And when you pull money out of it, when you retire, you don't have to pay additional income tax on it. Traditional IRAs are money you have not paid taxes on. So you either took a tax deduction. Um, that's usually the case is that you contribute and then you get a deduction on your taxes. So the government considers that money that has not been taxed. When you pull it out, when you retire, you will pay taxes uh, at that point in time. So when you have a 401k, unless you're in the situation where it's a Roth 401k, and lovely Leah didn't indicate that. So I'm going to assume it's a traditional 401k where you're contributing pre-tax money, when you roll that over, it would need to go into a traditional IRA. If you tried to roll it into a Roth, you would end up having to pay tax on everything that was being rolled over. So that, that would not be our advice unless you have a lot of uh, disposable income to pay that additional tax. So normally when people leave a job, they would look into a traditional IRA. 
And look at the choices in the in your husband's existing 401k. You actually can leave it there if it's a great 401k plan and the costs are really low. Usually people roll it over because they can then choose whatever investments they want and they can make sure the investments are, are low cost. So you could open a, a traditional IRA with that same online robo-advisor if you like that company that you're working with and roll it over. It also does not count towards his contributions. So when you roll over money from a 401k to an IRA, it doesn't get into that $5,500 contribution limit every year. So you don't have to worry about him not being able to contribute to the IRA um, because he's made that rollover. Thank you for that. I, although I think I also have heard about Roth IRA conversions. So isn't there an exception where you can take a traditional IRA or a traditional 401k and add, and, and put it, it, basically roll that into, convert that into a Roth IRA? You can, but then you have to pay the tax right. when you do that. So it would just be usually, I'm, I'm assuming here if he's lost his job that they probably don't want to pay a whole lot in additional taxes this year. But if they do have a lot of uh, money and they're okay paying additional taxes, you definitely could do a, a conversion. Um, a lot of that's just going to depend on their specific situation and how much money they would be converting. Right. So it's still an option, the Roth IRA, but like to your point, they'd have to pay taxes. And so they're, it is attractive to some people. In that case, maybe you want to talk to a financial advisor to kind of do the modeling for you and kind of show you the, 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 the cost and the trade-offs. Uh, you know, in some cases, if you're earning too much, you can't just open up a Roth IRA. You have, uh, you aren't out of the salary, uh, minimum salary require, maximum salary requirement. So in some cases, it's attractive to people who wouldn't have an opportunity to have a Roth IRA because they like the idea of not paying taxes later on, assuming your tax rate would go up in, at that point. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, guesswork, I guess, that's going to be at play. And, but yeah, if you want just sort of a seamless, uh, move then from traditional 401k to a traditional IRA would probably be the, the quickest and fastest way to do it. All right. And finally, also on Instagram, Nancy wants to know that, and this is, this is a quickie because I think this is a pretty straightforward question. She says, I know that a person is only allowed to contribute up to $18,000 a year to their 401k. If you're over the age of 50, I believe you can do um, 24,000, an additional 6,000. Does yeah, that it's 20 it's 185 now and 245 and oh, 18 up. right. So a little bit more this year. Right. So she's at 18, but you're right. It's 185. I got to brush up on my 401k contribution. List. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been a an employee at a company. But she wants to know, does that maximum include what your company matches or does your company match not count towards the maximum? contribution limit. I think it's that it in all whatever total total contribution, whether that's your money or your employer's money, has not cannot exceed eighteen thousand, right? No, it's actually her contribution can be eighteen thousand five hundred and her <gasps> company could contribute another eighteen thousand five hundred. So um you your company will control their end of that and then you want to make sure you're contributing really? up to eighteen thousand five. Yes. What? I have been I am getting schooled on my podcast right now. That's a lot of money that you could potentially put. I mean, I always was pro match. I was like, always contribute up to the match. But but that's that's incredible. That's I mean, 
I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't know this, I have to be honest, but I'm going to... Well, it's, it's because most companies aren't contributing $18,500, sadly. <laughs> because it rarely happens, employees. I suppose. It never exactly. quite comes up in the way that it that it could potentially. It's all theory. Uh, but whoa, that's, that's really awesome. If you have access to that, I mean, you could probably retire early. Yeah, exactly. Don't leave that job if you have access Don't to your company. Don't leave that job. Don't get fired. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Gretchen and Nancy and lovely Leah and Zelda and Mo and Joe. And I just want to also uh, follow up from last Friday's episode. There was a question actually that was pertaining to another career transition. It was from a listener and she had uh, sent me a message on Instagram. Well, when I transposed the question over to my Word document, I realized that I made a mistake this person I thought was a man, but she was actually a female. And uh, this was sort of an issue because, you know, she actually followed up with me. So Virginia had asked this question about leaving um, her current field in architecture and switching careers to the tech field. And she's an avid listener of the show. She thinks the show is super empowering to her as a woman in an industry that is predominantly male, both, you know, whether she's talking about architecture or tech. And so I made the mistake because it's through Instagram and I was just looking at her Instagram name and it was the first three letters are Z-E-V. And I know a Zev and it's a guy. So I just made the big boo-boo of assuming that this person was a man. Now, I should have just gone back and looked at her profile picture. She's a gorgeous woman. But I guess in the transition of transposing the question to Word document and then the podcast, it got lost. Her gender got lost in the conversation. My advice would never change the way I – and also our co-host, Allison Task, was at the you know career coach. I looked back at how we handled the question. I don't – I don't regret what we said, but the, but nonetheless, I think what was unfortunate about it was that, you know, what's awesome is that uh, Virginia is a female in a very male dominant industry and considering another male dominant industry. So it was sort of a, we lacked the opportunity to kind of give her a shout out for that and to empower other women to see how it's possible to thrive in these industries. So we, I apologize for that. Um, but again, my advice is, uh, is, uh, is what it is. And if you want to go back and listen to that episode, that was last Friday's episode. So keep the questions coming on Instagram. I hope to not make a gender error again, but, uh, I appreciate that uh, Virginia followed up with me and we're still friends all as well, <laughs> all as well. So Gretchen, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so glad I was able to fulfill your dreams Yes, definitely. It was lovely to be here. And uh, you have such great question, questions from your listeners. So it's fun to walk through those. My listeners are just top notch. And we actually recently polled our audience. Over 650 of you replied within a couple of days, which was awesome. And we discovered that uh, you know many of you are not just college educated. Many of you hold master's degrees and PhDs. Uh, debt is is a concern among um, uh, many of you, but it's not, the, it's not the sort of thing that is keeping you away from trying to really triumph in your financial life. It's under control. You're achieving goals. You're setting plans up. And that's probably 
probably what brings you to the podcast space is you're looking for self-development advice and a community to really support you. And so I'm grateful that we have the audience that we have. Um, Couldn't do this job without you. And and happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody. And same to you, Grouchy. And I hope you and your family have a nice, relaxing, long weekend. Yes, definitely. And I want to chime in one thing. I did go look up the 401k limitations because you made me nervous, Sarah, but it is 55,000 is the maximum contribution. So technically your employer could actually contribute up to $36,500. So again, if you're in that situation, keep that job, but your contribution is 18,500 and then your total. So your employer can fulfill the rest up to 55,000 in 2018. All right. That's why I love having the CFPs on the show. (laughs) (laughs) And they, they keep it honest. Thank you again, Gretchen. And everybody, hope your weekend is so money. 